Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Sea levels are expected to rise by more than three feet before centuries end if meaningful action is not taken against climate change. But much sooner than that, the incoming water could begin to seep into more than 400 of California's hazard sites like power plants and toxic waste facilities. That could mobilize pollutants and spread them into nearby water and soil. The neighbors of these sites are five times more likely to be people of color and low income So this could deepen the environmental injustice baked into our cities. That's all according to a recent statewide mapping project from UC Berkeley and UCLA environmental health professors. Here to discuss the project's findings is KQED's climate reporter, Ezra David Romero. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So, you know, sea level rise and environmental justice have kind of been mainstays of research for a couple decades now. So what's different about this study? Yeah, this study looks into the future 2050, 2100. And what's different is that it pinpoints these 440 or so sites across California. And it goes even further than that. It plots those places across the Bay Area. But then it showcases who lives in those areas. So, for example, in an area near North Richmond, where there's a sewage treatment plant that they say could flood something like nine times by the year 2100, That community there is about 94% people of color that live Mm -hmm. there. Half of those, half people, half of the people that live there live in poverty um, and a bunch of other indicators. So it takes it further by contextualizing it with who lives in the Bay Area and who would be at risk if those places would flood just because of sea level rise. Mm -hmm. So, what measurements or thresholds did the researchers use to kind of build these maps? Yeah, they look at the worst case scenario, and that's where humanity doesn't get emissions under control. We keep on burning fossil fuels, and then the atmosphere warms enough that the ice sheets in places like Antarctica melt. And that can mean upwards of seven feet of sea level rise, some say, some say even like 10. And so they, they use that worst case measurement because the scientists I spoke to said they don't have um, hope that we're going to actually get to that place of cutting emissions because they're not seeing it happen now across the world, even though we've had these big climate 
um, conferences and things like that, they aren't seeing the reductions happening at a fast enough rate. Yeah. So they, out the, they lay out the worst case scenario for 2050 and 2100. In that 2050 time frame, there are a couple dozen sites across the Bay Area that would see flooding. Um, more than half a dozen in places like San Jose, more than a dozen all along the San Mateo County shoreline. Mm. And then a few in Oakland, San Francisco, San Rafael, Antioch, and then one even all the way in Lodi because this is Mm. a a big, vast system stretching from the Sacramento area to the Bay. Yeah, I mean, because so much of the Bay Area's industrial land is filled, you feel like we're probably one of the most vulnerable places because a lot of that land used to actually be Bay, right? Exactly. And, you know, the 2100 um, scenario is even worse. Um, That It goes from like a couple dozen sites to a couple hundred sites all around the Bay Area, um, from San Francisco to... San Rafael, Richmond, Vallejo, even to Napa, Stockton, Lodi have um, cases of flooding. And we're not talking about flooding that's going to happen once a year. Some of these sites have flooding that will happen 300, 350 times a year. Um, So that's on top of existing things people in these communities are dealing with. Think of Richmond, where there's oil refineries. People are dealing with poor air quality. Hunter's Bay in San Francisco, Hunter's Point in San Francisco, um, where people are, they're finding in people's urine um, multiple kinds of toxins just by living in areas that that are in this area where the Navy used to be, an atomic bomb manufacturer type site. So mm-hmm. there's places all around the Bay Area that are like this um, because we're a bay, a place where there's been industry along the shoreline of all sorts. Yeah. We're talking with Ezra David Romero, KQED climate reporter, about climate resilience in the face of toxic flooding and a new project called Toxic Tides. What are your questions about sea level rise and toxic pollutants? Do you have questions about the Toxic Tides project? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. Twitter, Facebook, KQED Forum, or forum at kqed.org. So that was... um, Thinking about this, trying to imagine sea level rise uh, in these places and and reading some of the coverage of the Toxic Tides uh, project, what's the actual earlier scenarios? Like, are these places going to be just sort of overwhelmed, like water will just literally flood in? Or are there other kind of dangers in just uh, seawater intrusion or just chemicals beginning to seep as the sea level rises? Yeah, so I was in these webinars last week about this where... Um, hundreds of people from around the Bay Area, different communities, learned about sea level rise, and they were able to talk about um, what's happening already in these communities. So these communities already have contamination in them. There's already leakage. There's already seepage in some of these places. So that's, first of all, an existing issue. Um, Without sea level rise, those things are happening because the contamination is already there. And then secondly, they were talking about what this data doesn't do, it doesn't consider, is groundwater. So as seas rise, it will push up groundwater. And so they basically said that places could experience flooding from groundwater way before they'd see uh, flooding from, from rising tides itself because the sea level rise pushes up the water, the groundwater, and it, and it can flood up areas. So... Yeah, there's just a lot of concerns there. Um, and with so much of the area on fill, fill is like where we put dirt and built cities on, and then we put these kinds of chemical plants and things like that. Um, 
there's all sorts of problems there. Mm-hmm. And so they say this data is also sort of doesn't tell a full story because they say some of the like San Francisco Baykeeper um, actually emailed me this morning saying that this data only looks at EPA numbers and doesn't consider um, tons of other toxic sites. And there could be as much as more than a thousand sites in the Bay Area instead of a 240, which and I And in like. fact, Ezra, we actually have John, uh, who I believe is an SF Baykeeper from Berkeley, uh, who just called in. Welcome to the show, John. Hi, thanks for having me, Alexis. Um, yeah, I'm the senior scientist with San Francisco Baykeeper, <clears throat> and I wanted to thank you for daylighting this this important topic to everybody in the in the Bay Area. Um, but as the previous um, person remarked, um, I just wanted to point out that there are there are gaps in the Toxic Tides report. Um, you know, the research is is great; it's sort of proof of concept and a broad scale. Um, but the report doesn't account for the effect of rising water tables driven by a rising sea level, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the bay will be pushing on water underground, pushing that water up through toxic sites, um, which will make any cap uh, or remediation of that site that doesn't remove the toxins totally meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, another just to, uh, uh, just to dilate the, there for a moment, yeah, John, sure. Um, sure. that means like basically one of the ways that we do remediation, we can pump the toxins out, say, or we could do, we could pump steam in to drive more toxins out, or we can just sort of pour concrete on it and pretend it's not there. You're saying that in those cases where we've like tried to cover up the toxins, that this could in fact lead to, to more problems. That, that's correct. It, it means that a problem that we thought we might have taken care of by, you know, as you say, like sort of sweeping it under the asphalt um, it, it is not really taken care of. And it's going to it's going to come back because of this effect of the tie, uh, of the bays mm-hmm. pushing up local um, local water tables. And there's research from UC Berkeley that's now beginning to, to map that because it's not an easy thing to to determine where the local water level is in any given spot. Um, but when you look at those maps that show the, the rise of the water table, um, it, it gets scary pretty quickly. Yeah. And there's another um, piece of missing information in the Toxic Tides report. Again, it's not a criticism of the researchers. It's a big topic to undertake, and we're all learning about this really quickly. But um, it, the report went broad scale right across the country, across the state, um, but it, as a result, used only the EPA's uh, delineation of, of what sites are toxic, um, which is a, a good list, but it's by far not include, doesn't include um, uh, the, the number of toxic sites that, that there will actually be when water gets to these sites, right? Who's identified so the other site? Is it our state authorities or...? Exactly, exactly. So Baykeeper, we've used two um, statewide databases to look at um, sites that, that, you know, are considered toxic, just not on the EPA list, or will become toxic as soon as um, water gets close to them. Um, And using those databases, we found a few years ago, 1,100 sites just in the Bay, just in the Bay area, right, just around the Bay's edge, uh, 1,100 sites that will become uh, really problematic as a result of rising sea levels. And that's before the estimate of the first problem that I talked about, which is the rising water tables, because those data are just becoming available. So um, the the point is that this problem is much more widespread than even the Toxic Tides report reveals. And we really need state agencies to 
take this seriously, right, and, and begin to rethink all the assumptions about, oh, you know, we, we can just cap that site. We can't yeah. cap sites that are going to be in the face of sea level rise or the water bubbling up from underneath um, due to rising water tables. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much, John from Berkeley uh, with SFB Keeper. Ezra, uh, David Romero, KQD climate reporter. You know, when we think about the way that this project maps a sort of bunch of problems, yeah. what kind of what are the groups working on solutions to some of these problems? And um, are they does this help them, this project? Yeah, so I was on these webinars last week. There's groups all around the Bay already working on this kind of stuff. Um, there's people like Christina Hill at UC Berkeley that are doing these mapping projects around groundwater. There's the toxic toxic tides people who are going to include, they say they're going to include some more of this groundwater type thing into their modeling over the next year. They want to refine it. But there are already groups, existing environmental justice groups, Mm -hmm. community activists or advocacy groups in places like Marin City, San Mateo, Richmond, West Oakland, San Jose that are that are talking about these things that are working with communities um, in Richmond. They highlight that there's something like more than 350 toxic sites or contaminated sites in that area alone, and it's already affecting people's health outcomes, like in asthma, potential cancer, or things like that. So we're dealing with existing inequities in these places, meaning people are already living with the consequences of pollution, the consequences of, you know, redlining in their communities, and then sea level rise and um, potential widespread contamination of those historic contaminated sites on top of it all. So there's a lot of work going on, everything from trying to get communities um, to understand what's happening, just to have a baseline of information, um, because people are, you know, just trying to work and trying to feed their families. Mm -hmm. And so, and then there's, some of these places are working with the EPA and the state to get these places cleaned up. And last week in these webinars I was part of, I think the largest um, comment I heard from the public, from these communities, is that it's just taking so long to get these places cleaned up. It can take as many as little as five years. Sometimes they, there was one case where they said it's been 23 years and they are barely getting cleanup. So... You've had, that means like two generations of people have continued to live through that contamination. Yeah. One of the most hopeful things that I saw just looking at coverage of, uh, of the Toxic Tides report was that the West Oakland Environmental Indicators Project, which works mm-hmm. uh, in West Oakland, has launched a thing called the Oakland Shoreline Leadership Academy, which I thought was really interesting because it tries to – because these planning processes are so long – Traditional kind of community meetings and just sort of requesting something kind of doesn't work. You need people to be engaged over this really long haul. And so they're kind of trying to train people up on, like, what are these complex processes? You know, all the different agencies, EPA, the Bay Area Conservation yeah. Development Commission, and all these other places that control um, this our, our shoreline here around the Bay. So if you're, if you're really interested in getting involved in this, Oakland Shoreline Leadership Academy may be a place you want to take a look. Yeah, there's places in any of these communities, existing groups that are getting involved. So, yeah, um, that's cool. Um, let's. We got another uh, question from uh, Sean in San Jose. Welcome to the show, Sean. Uh, regarding um, uh, disposal facilities, um, the, there's a dark money company um, uh, trying to end a government-funded project in Santa Cruz, where they would pull up all the railroad uh, tracks. Every single one of those railroad ties soaked with creosote has to be uh, has to be treated as toxic waste, which 
is an EPA level above hazardous to waste. They have to be disposed of in these uh, uh, specialized, incredibly uh, high temperature uh, uh, furnaces in, uh, again, specialized uh, waste disposal facilities. Are, and there's not a lot of them. How, how uh, secure and safe are some of these facilities uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, a climate problem? Sean, thanks for that. And Ezra, maybe I'd put it like this to you um, in regard to this report. It's, what do we know about the way that different facilities might be affected by the same kind of sea level rise? I think it really has to do with where they are at, um, what the toxin is, what the contaminant is. You know, it could be everything from a sewage plant, right, where you could have the chemicals it takes to clean these plants that could get out, you know, to waste, um, there's even like a naval weapons type place in the list. Um, I think it's really dependent on where and how many times it would flood. Um, I don't know if I have a, exactly a clear answer to that beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when we look at the way that this has been working so far and that's how long things have taken, is there a possibility that there'd be you know some kind of new legislation from the state or new money from the federal government that might help to address... Uh, this issue, you know, more deeply and and in particular, much faster. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a possibility. A legislator would need to take that up um, and 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 pitch that kind of thing. We did see that that sort of sentiment take place with the clean water with with clean water in the Central Valley. Um, you know, with the Affordable Clean Water Drinking Act that happened, and the people places that have had existing heritage um, contamination in water in mm-hmm. in small towns around the the Central Valley have gotten help and are continuing to get help through the through the legislature. So that could happen with a project like this. On that webinar last week, they were talking about how someone from the EPA was saying that the federal administration is uh, focusing on this and they are going to work to speed some of this process up. And she gave out her email to all the people on the call and said, contact us. Um, and that's there's certain areas that they can only work with, but they said they'd help others. So I think there's multiple things going on. I also think it's really early in this process. This is this project is sort of like a, a flag in the air and saying, like, look at me. There's all this potential bad stuff happening. There's all these places trying to work on it. Maybe we can have a an effort together on it. Yeah. Last question. You said earlier just that they're trying to incorporate more kinds of data into their modeling, like, say, around groundwater. What else do the researchers want to see happen now? Yeah, they the researchers want to hopefully have legislators and communities and the the hundreds of agencies and places around the Bay Area pay attention to this and make an effort to clean up these sites before sea level rise would happen because sea level rise is a climate impact that hasn't happened yet in the same way, think about drought or wildfires or hurricanes and things like that that are currently happening around the world. Sea level rise is something we can prepare for. And this, you know, we're talking about a, a date of 2050, 2035, 2050, 2100, and we can clean up these sites before that time and and protect these communities who are already witnessing um poor health ramifications from their current things happening in their communities. Thank you so much for that. We've been talking with Ezra David Romero, KQED climate reporter, about climate resilience in the face of toxic flooding. 
talking specifically about a project called Toxic Tides. Thanks so much for coming on, Ezra. Thanks for having me. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.